I am quite um, sure by now in our study of the book of Hebrews that you have some very important questions, like, is the author warning his readers against backsliding or apostasy? For, for that matter, what is backsliding and, and, and what is apostasy? And, and, and is there a distinction between the two? Can a Christian backslide? And if he does, can he recover? Can a Christian commit apostasy? And, and, and if he does, can he recover? Of course, th- those questions seem rather academic, seminary-like questions, so let's get more personal and practical with maybe some more troubling Questions like, if, if I haven't always walked faithfully with Christ since my profession of faith, have I lost my salvation? Am I, am I still a Christian? And how far and how long do you have to go to, to, to lose your salvation? And, and how many times? Because I've done it a lot. Which presupposes another very troubling question. Can, can a Christian lose his or her salvation? Sure seems like that's what you've been saying in Hebrews. How about, is it, is it possible to become a Christian again if, if you do lose it? If a friend or a loved one made a profession of faith, maybe it was years ago, but hasn't really lived for Christ, Is he or she still a Christian? I mean, they prayed the prayer, right? (laughs) So we always cling to. So I go to a funeral, and the person never really lived for Jesus. Wasn't really that bad. Had a lot of nice things to say, but never really lived for him either. Is he or she in heaven or not? I will tell you that as a pastor... Here in the Bible Belt South, I don't think that I've ever done the funeral of a person who was not a Christian, but at least according to their family. If a friend or loved one professes Christ but then leaves and falls into gross sin or immorality, like maybe you've done, are they still saved? Or are they just backslidden, whatever that is? Or were they ever truly saved? I know. What about eternal security, you know? Once saved, always saved. Isn't being saved some kind of fire insurance? And how does this perseverance of the saints thing figure into all of this? For that matter, what is the perseverance of the saints? These are tough questions, you see. If we were honest, unsettling questions. I suspect questions that we've all had and probably have had an emotional, significant impact on every one of us. We've all experienced or we've known people who have experienced ups and downs uh, in their spiritual lives. What, What do I do with that? We've all known people who made a profession of faith, maybe in, 
maybe even walked it for a little while, but as the saying goes, haven't darkened the door of a church in a long time. What, what do I do with that? The statistics everyone likes to throw around, especially today, is the majority of our Christian youth go to college and walk away. Some 70% as I understand it. Some come back, most don't. In fact, the fastest growing demographic of atheists is among the millennial generation, approaching 30%. What do we do with that? Were our youth Christians or not? Troubling questions, especially if your loved one was a brother or a sister, a son, a daughter, mom, a dad, grandson, granddaughter. I do think it incredibly important that we define our terms, lest we end up terribly confused. So, so let's start with those first, I know, academic questions, because you find they are not just seminary questions. They hit us right where we live. What is backsliding? What is apostasy? Can you recover? And what is the, and what is the author of Hebrews ad- addressing anyway? What have you been trying to say to us these past few weeks? Let's start with backsliding. That's a good old southern term. Very simply, it is defined as a relapse into bad habits, sinful behavior, or a relapse into undesirable activities. That's a dictionary definition. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Association website says it this way. Very good. The Old Testament uses backsliding to speak of those who have been near to God but have allowed sin to take them away from Him. And and so, for example, Jeremiah chapter 14 says it this way in the ESV, though our iniquities testify against us, act, O Lord, for your namesake, for our backslidings. Interesting, my translation has it apostasies. So are they the same or not? Our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. You see this idea of backsliding connected to sin. Someone who professes to be a Christian, I'll go further, someone who is a Christian and relapses or falls back into sin. Notice the definition does not say that the person has denied their faith or, or denied Christ. They've simply allowed sin to draw them away from their relationship with God. Have you ever done that? How many times? How many times does it take? Using that as a definition, I think most of us would agree that there have been times in our lives when we have allowed sin for a time to draw us away from our relationship with God. Oh, we didn't deny our faith. We didn't deny Jesus. We simply allowed the allurement of sin to sidetrack us, to trip us up. I would love to say when we come to faith in Christ that we never struggle with sin again. I cannot say that because that's neither been our experience nor is it the teaching of Scripture. We still have to deal with sin, living in a broken world, being exposed to and tempted by sin almost daily, assaulted by the the very adversary of our souls, the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And those are Peter's word to believers. Satan is looking to to attack you. 
So again, I would love to say that I have walked faithfully with Christ every day of my life. I have not. But I can say that the overall trajectory of my life has been one of sure growth in holiness and Christ-likeness. What does that mean? It means simply loving God more, growing in my commitment to and understanding of the Word of God, growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Remember those? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There ought to be an ever-increasing growth in those. Growing in my service to Him as I seek to love and, uh, Him and serve others well. Growing in my desire to share my faith in Christ with others. So at this point, we've answered a couple of important questions. What is backsliding? And, and is it possible for a Christian to backslide and recover? And the answer is definitively yes. But notice that I said backsliding is when you fall into sin for a time. Which helps us answer a couple of other very difficult questions. And we must be honest. First, people who make a profession of faith, even walk with Him for a little while, and then wander off into a life of sin, have no assurance of true salvation. Bread prayer. I'm not going to judge their eternal destiny and consign them to hell. I do not have the authority to do so. But I will say, there is no assurance of salvation. Matthew chapter 7, end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, there will be those who, who come to me and say, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do miracles in your name? And he says, depart from me for I never, that's an interesting word, I never knew you. Not I knew you and somehow lost track of you. They seem to me to be like the parable of the sower that Jesus talked about. Matthew chapter 13. Some good seed, that is the seed of the gospel, fell among four types of soil. The middle two were, were, were the rocks and the other uh, were the, the thorns. The, 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 the seed sprung up. But when affliction or persecution came, when sin enticed and the worries of this life of this world or the deceitfulness of wealth came, they fell away, no real root, no spiritual life, no assurance of salvation. No. Rather, true Christians persevere, which brings us to a definition of perseverance of the saints. Now, you may know it as eternal security, not my favorite term. Eternal security sounds like I can ask Jesus to be my Savior, then live however I want. No problem. I can't lose my salvation. I'm eternally secure. You know, once saved, always saved. That is not necessarily true. That is this living however you want. As we just saw, to make a, listen to this very carefully, to make a profession and not live the profession denies the profession. But Jesus said, by their fruit, you will know them. James said, faith without corresponding works is worthless, meaningless. It's dead. Now, 
To be sure, we do not live like Christians to produce salvation. We live like Christians because we are Christians, and it proves our salvation. Again, we don't live like Christians to produce salvation, but to prove salvation. So perseverance of the saints means a Christian, empowered by the Holy Spirit, will live like a Christian and grow in holiness. They will not be perfect, but they will follow Christ. They will persevere. And if they don't, then they don't know Jesus. Which leads to another answer, and again, one with which we need to be honest, particularly with ourselves, as difficult as it is. People who make a profession of faith and then continue in a life characterized by sin. I didn't say they don't occasionally sin. I said live a life characterized by sin. No life change. They don't follow Christ. They are not backslidden. They are not Christians. They are like the seed that fell on the hard ground. And, and, and that's the first soil of the four. And the birds came and snatched it away. No sprouting, no, no growth at all. Listen, a person cannot walk an aisle, pray a prayer, shake a hand, sign a card, join a church, and then never live like a Christian and be a Christian. This is inconsistent with the truth of Scripture. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. What if I don't follow? Then you're not a sheep. So all of that has to do with backsliding. Yes, true Christians may backslide, maybe grossly, but they also recover. Some of you have lived in sin for a while, post-conversion, after your salvation, but you repented, and here you are. But some of you need to repent right now. Oh, you're here. Because this is what you do on Sunday morning, but you do not live like a Christian Monday through Saturday, and you know it. And I want to say to you that there is no assurance of true spiritual life. Some of you have friends or family members who have made a profession of faith, lived the Christian life perhaps for a little while, and have now wandered off. I could ask for a show of hands. I suspect most hands would go up. So what do you do? Two things. First, you pray. And you keep praying. Pray that God will convict them and call them back. And second, regularly, graciously, gently call them back. Hold them accountable. Speak truth into their lives. Some of those people that have wandered off in your life are family members. They, they are sons or daughters, brothers or sisters. And you get together with them rather regularly and act like everything is okay. And it is not. We must speak truth regularly into people's lives who have wandered off and seek the Holy Spirit to do His work. You cannot know their hearts, but you can pray to the God who does. That's all backsliding. What about this apostasy thing? Well, you need to understand that that is entirely different. 
Oh, it may include backsliding, that that is falling into sin. In fact, it, it often does. In fact, the reason people often commit apostasy is because they want to backslide. They want to sin. But apostasy is defined as a willful rejection or renunciation or walking away from the faith, a willful and conscious rejection of Christ and His gospel. I no longer believe. This is quite serious. Let me suggest some answers to those very difficult questions related to apostasy. And it is incredibly important that we take these in order. First, You should know that the author of Hebrews is addressing his warnings to those who are tempted to commit apostasy, to apostatize. That is, the going had gotten tough, and they were considering quitting, rejecting, renouncing their new Christian faith, walking away from Christ and His gospel, and returning to Judaism. It is incredibly important that we remember that understanding that he's addressing apostasy for our later warning passages in Hebrews. We're only in the second of five, and they get increasingly more difficult. So he's not talking about backsliding. He's not talking about falling into sin for a period of time. He does address that. For example, in chapter 12, when he says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every uh, encumbrance and, and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance or perseverance, persevere, <laughs> the race that is set before us. Don't get caught in, up into sin, brothers and sisters. F- follow faithfully with endurance to the end of your days. But the warning passages, those five warning passages, are primarily directed against apostasy that is a willful direction of the Christian faith, which leads to the second thing, and again, we must take these in order. Scripture elsewhere teaches that a true believer will not apostatize. In fact, I believe Hebrews teaches this very same truth. This is related to the perseverance of the saints, that true believers will indeed persevere to the end. And this is what the author is encouraging his readers to do, persevere to the end, proving the reality of of your faith. Because if you apostatize, if you don't persevere to the end, If you deny Christ and His gospel, you will not enter God's rest, that is heaven. And and you will prove that your faith was a sham. It wasn't real. Now, let's look at a few passages which indicate that true believers will, in fact, persevere. There's actually several of them. I've narrowed it down to a few. Jesus Himself said in John chapter 6, It's right after the feeding of the 5,000. So he's just given them a bunch of bread. So he starts talking about bread. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, well, that sounds good. Lord, always give us this bread. We we want that. And, and, And he said to him, good, I'm the bread. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. Notice the word never. Never thirst. But I, I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe, uh, and yet do not believe. By the way, 
this is how we receive this bread of life, this water of life, is by believing. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I will lose nothing. I looked it up in the Greek. You know what nothing means? Nothing. He will lose nothing of all that the Father has given to him, but he will raise you up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have right now eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Hallelujah. The passage goes on, but clearly Jesus says, when he grants eternal life, it will never be lost. Jesus said further in John chapter 10, and I give them and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I used to say it like this. We're held firmly in Jesus' hand, and then He gives us to His Father who is greater than all, and no one can snatch us out of their hands, right? You see, we're, and, and, and then we are sealed by the Holy Spirit just in case there are any leaks, that seems to me to be fairly secure. Now, I know the argument here. There are some who will say, well, since I put myself into Christ through my faith, into His hand through my faith, I can take myself out. Others can't. No one can snatch them out. But I can take myself out through my unbelief. I can commit apostasy. I will grant that if the first part of that statement is true, that you put yourself into Christ, then the second part is also true, that you can take yourself out. However, it is Christ who saved you through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who gives eternal life, and no one, not even you, can rescind it. And why would you want to? One more, Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it, complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. The biblical record is clear and strong that once a person is truly saved, truly born again, he, will remain, he or she will remain so. God saved you from your sin. He redeemed you. He bought you out of the slave market of sin. He has given you eternal life. It is your eternal possession. You don't get eternal life after you die. That doesn't even make sense. You've got it right now. But Hebrews, admittedly, presents some challenges to this understanding. Admittedly. He is talking about apostasy, and everyone agrees that he is. There's no disagreement about this. Renouncing your faith walking away, and as a result, not entering God's eternal rest in heaven. So here then becomes the question, perhaps the question you've had over the past few weeks. Is he implying that you can lose your salvation through apostasy, through a willful rejection of your faith? I admit that this is a stunning challenge. There are other warning passages. Again, this is only the second one, and they get increasingly more difficult Wait till the next one. 
but I want you to know the position from which I am coming. We must allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. And the overall and overwhelming evidence is that a true believer will not, in fact, cannot lose his or her salvation. And I also happen to believe that the author of Hebrews agrees with the rest of Scripture and teaches the very same thing, despite the warning passages. Consider a couple of passages that we've already looked at. Chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm to the end. And so the question is, well, what happens if we don't hold fast our confession? What happens if we commit apostasy? Then we lose it, right? What does the text say? If we hold our confession firm to the end, we are His house. If we don't hold fast our confession, then we are not His house. He does not say we were His house and then we are not, that we were in the house and then He kicked us out. He says we are His house if we remain faithful and if we don't, we aren't. Further, nor does He say we will become His house if we remain faithful. No, no, no. We are His house proven by our faithfulness to the end of day. Look down at verse 14. We read it last week. For we have become partakers of Christ right now if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm to the end. We prove that we have become actual partakers of Christ if we hold fast our assurance. What happens if we don't? What happens if we apostatize? If we do not hold fast, then we have not become partakers. We, 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 we are not truly believers. He does not say we ceased becoming partakers. He says we have become in the past a partaker if we persist in the present and on to the future. And if we don't, we don't stop becoming a partaker. We never were. A couple of other points. First, the we have become is in the perfect tense in the Greek. Greek verb tense is incredibly important. What that refers to, the perfect tense, is a past action with ongoing effect. For we have become partakers at a point in the past with ongoing effect that we hold fast. If we don't hold fast with ongoing effect, then we aren't. Do you see? And second, to be clear, this perseverance of the saints is not something that you muster up and do all by yourself. Oh, no, no. Remember Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He who began the good work in you he will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So just like you don't do anything to earn your salvation, ultimately, you don't do anything to keep it. He works in you so that you work out your salvation in fear and trembling. He gives you His Holy Spirit by whom you persevere. And only true believers have the Holy Spirit. It's not like He moves in and moves out. 
So like last week, that's a lot of introduction. So what exactly is the author of Hebrews warning his readers and, frankly, us about? About quitting, about apostatizing, renouncing Jesus. Well, I just thought you said we couldn't. You can't if you are a true believer. But there were those who were quitting and others who had quit, others were considering quitting, who were proving that they were not true believers by their quitting. And he is warning us, persevere. Prove the reality of your faith by your perseverance. So is this a real warning or not? Absolutely. Don't apostatize. Hold on to Christ with everything you have and everything he has given you to hold on. Hold fast your confidence and your assurance, your confession. And in the end, it will prove the reality of your saving faith. Which brings us back to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 19. This is the second warning of the book that actually extends to chapter 4, verse 13, which means we get to do this again next week. Yay, yay. Let's reread verses 7 and 19. Remember, the author starts by quoting Psalm 95 which is talking about the Israelites who wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Why? Because of unbelief. That's key. Look at it with me. Hebrews 7 verse, or excuse me, Hebrews 3 verse 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says right now to you, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me. And saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation. And said, they always, notice, always go astray in their heart. And they did not know my ways. Do you see that? They, were, they didn't know my way. They didn't know me. Even though I proved it to them. I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, brothers and sisters, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called the day, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin's deceitful. It makes promises that it does not deliver on. And when you sin, you believe the lie. And so you think, I'm done with my spouse, and I'm going to go with this one who will certainly be better. It's a lie, and you're deceived. And, and you believe the lie and you think, if I, if I sleep with my boyfriend or my girlfriend tonight, I'll feel more fulfilled. And then you wake up tomorrow morning and it was a lie. And you think pornography will fill you, will give you what you want and what you need. And then you, you, you view it and you feel dirty and you should because it's a lie. You say, well, that's all sexual sin. Well, the Bible is filled with sexual sin. It's our problem. The question is not, are you 
sexually broken. The question is, in what way are you sexually broken? For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. How? For who, provo- for, for who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who, who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years, even though he proved himself to them? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of what? Unbelief. It's the key. We looked at this briefly last week. I simply want to point out a couple of more things this morning. Two things that we must do to hold fast our confidence, to hold fast our assurance, thus proving the reality of our faith. Ready? Here they are. Take care personally and encourage one another corporately. I could say it like this. First, watch out for yourself, and second, watch out for each other. First, you have a personal responsibility to take care of your spiritual life and journey. He likens our spiritual journey to the Israelites' journey and how they fell through unbelief. That is key, unbelief. This unbelief is what prevented them from entering God's rest. The words take care there could be translated, see to it, beware, Watch out that there not be in any one of you an evil what? Unbelieving heart. A hardened heart. A heart that does not believe and therefore falls away from the one true and living God. The implication is if you leave, if you quit, you are leaving the only true God there is. The only living God there is. You cannot turn to anyone or anything else. You know right now the true and living God. There is no other God to whom you can find salva- turn to find salvation. You fall away from him, I want you to understand something. That is it. I want you to catch that. Even Judaism will not do it. Remember, these readers, these initial readers were Jewish believers thinking, back going, thinking of going back to Judaism. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought the Jews worshiped the same God we do. None, listen to me. Jesus looked at Nicodemus one day and said, if you are not born again, Nicodemus, teacher of the Jews, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. In John chapter 17, Jesus said, this is eternal life that they may know you and the one you have sent. And we all know John 14. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You can't know God even in Judaism apart from Jesus. Now, I suppose at this point an obvious question is this. In in what sense can there be a falling away or a turning away from God if we never truly belong to God? I think the way the author wants us to understand this is in the example of the Israelites in verses 7 11, which is Psalm 95. He points out in verse 9 that these people saw my works for 40 years, and they still hardened their hearts against God and went astray in their hearts. It, it is being, here's what it is, this falling away. It is being exposed to the gospel, perhaps even acknowledging the gospel, tasting the gospel, but not being a partaker of the gospel. Listen to the way John Piper says it. It's a lengthy quote, but hey, It's John Piper. 
they had been swept up into the mighty workings of God. They had tasted the the children of Israel. They had tasted his power and benefited from his spirit and goodness. They had been enlightened with God's revelation way beyond any people of the earth, and they had fallen away. So it is with some of the people in the New Testament times, and so it is today. These people had been swept up into the signs and wonders that he talked about in chapter 2, the gifts of the Spirit. They had tasted the power of the age to come. They had been folded into a loving people. That's the church and experienced measures of the Spirit's work in their midst and in their lives. They had glimpsed the light of the gospel. They had been baptized and even eaten communion and listened to preaching and probably had done some remarkable works themselves. Remember Matthew chapter 7. But as with Israel, their hearts became hard and an evil heart of unbelief got the upper hand and they began to put their hope in other things rather than Christ. And over time, they fell away from all the goodness that they had been surrounded with. And Hebrews says that the explanation of this is that they had not become partakers of Christ. It was a sham. It wasn't real. Some of you come week after week because we're in the Bible Belt. And it's the thing to do. And you know that during the week... This is a sham because that's the real you. We must not let this happen. Do not come. Do not come right to the border of the land of promise, having seen all of God's goodness for you for years and walk away. What does this take care mean? What does it look like? It means there must be an intentional pursuit of Christ as your greatest treasure, your greatest joy. You cannot listen intentional. You cannot leave it to chance. It will not just happen. You must care for your own spiritual life. This is not rocket science. This comes primarily through time spent in the Word. You cannot ignore God's Word and stay faithful. It comes primarily through time spent in prayer with Him. You cannot maintain your relationship with God if you do not spend time with Him. He speaks to us through His Word primarily, and we speak to Him through prayer. I've told you this before, but in over 30 years of ministry, I've had people through my office say, man, I'm really struggling. I'm not walking with Christ. And I I will say, how is your time spent in the Word? How is your time spent in prayer? I've never had anyone say, oh, do it every day. No, no, no. They say, well, that's not doing too well. Of course. It is strengthened. It is kept through your time in the Word and prayer. It is strengthened through the books you read. We've all heard this. Who you are now and a year from now will depend on the books you read and the people you meet, people you hang out with, the stuff you expose yourself to. Some of you say, I'm struggling with my faith. Well, what are you reading? What are you watching? Lots of good stuff out there, people. Good books, good podcasts, good material to strengthen your faith. You have more opportunity at your fingertips than any generation ever. Do not leave it to chance. It will not happen. Further, the spiritual journey to the land of promised rest, this trip to heaven, is a community trip. Remember, the author likens our spiritual journey to the Israelite exodus and subsequent wanderings in the wilderness because of what? Unbelief. Don't be like them. Don't depart and die in unbelief. Look at verse 13. But encourage one another day after day. As long as it's called today, every day is today. That's the point. Don't stop. We must encourage each other constantly in the journey. That means we need each other. There never comes a point in your life when you don't need your Christian family. 
You need the community of believers called the church. And, and, and by the way, that doesn't just happen on Sunday mornings. There's things like small groups and connection groups and ministry groups and Bible studies to encourage you day after day. Look for someone who is further along in the journey, in the journey usually older than you, not necessarily, and ask them to care for you, to mentor you, to encourage you, to hold you accountable. We got hundreds of people here who will do that. Encourage each other day after day. We must not stop. But that encouragement also includes accountability. Notice the last part of the verse, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We must, listen, listen, listen. We must be on the lookout for each other and our walk of purity and integrity and righteousness. We must be willing to call each other out when we need to because it's a community trip. You cannot do it on your own. And the loving thing to do as we encourage each other is not to ignore sin. That's actually unloving. It's to call out sin. It's what the word encourage means. It's the word parakaleo, which means to call alongside. It means to come alongside people and encourage them, certainly so. But it also means to exhort them, to challenge each other in our walk with Christ. Because, verse 19, I'm done. Verse 19, we don't want to leave anyone here as a corpse in the wilderness because you die in unbelief. We're going to fight for each other. I need you. Brothers and sisters, you need me. We need each other in the journey. Take care of yourself and encourage each other. Eternity Ways in the balance. Stand for prayer. I'm going to pray and then we'll be dismissed. Father, my hope has been that this sermon would be both an encouragement and a warning. An encouragement that if I truly know Jesus, if I'm walking with him, not perfectly, but if I'm walking with him, if I'm seeking him as my greatest treasure, if I'm spending time with him, then I understand that I cannot lose my salvation. I'm I'm eternally secure, and I thank you for that. But if I'm going through the motions, just faking it, acting like something I'm not, Would you convict sinners today? And would you help them to turn in true saving faith and then to live their confession? In Christ's name we pray.